Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. Monthly expert training, unlimited access to business resources, a comprehensive video library, and a private member forum with hundreds of entrepreneur architects just like you. Everything you need to build a better business is available right now at Entree Architect. Subscribe today at entrearchitect.com slash join. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 280, and this week I'm speaking with an architect who found his purpose in technology. Early on in his career, he discovered his passion for making the process of delivering projects more efficient, allowing his firm to design better architecture and make more money. That passion has led him to found a new tech startup that has developed a tool that architects are going to love. This week at Entree Architect Podcast, from full-time architect to full-time tech entrepreneur, with Zach Soflin of Layer. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto, Easy Online Payroll, Benefits, and HR built for the modern small business. RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and so much more. And FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure, spend less time on accounting, and more time doing the work you love. Zach Soflin, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Great to see you. It's great to see you again. We we were hanging out at uh, in Las Vegas at the AIA conference uh, on architecture. We did a, a live demo on the Entree Architect live feed on the Entree Architect community on Facebook. And we had a good time there. And I learned a lot about you. I learned a lot about uh, what you're doing. And I was inspired. And so I wanted to bring you on the show here and, uh, and share you with the community. So let me introduce you awesome. uh, before we get started and we talk a, bit, a little bit about you and what you do. Uh, Zach Soflin cool. is the founder and COO of Layer. His desire for knowledge and collective exploration led him on a quest to create the most flexible and accessible project management tool for design construction and building management professionals. Zach is a licensed architect who practiced for eight years before founding Layer in 2019. He speaks regularly uh, about BIM and complex uh, data 
including AIA National at Built at AEC Tech and many, many other national and regional conferences. Zach, I shared a little bit about you there. Gives you a little bit of tid, tidbits about who you are and what you do, but I like to go deeper. I like to learn more about <laughs> the people I'm talking to. I like to, to learn their origin story. So I want to go back to cool. where you uh, discovered architecture, because I think every architect has that point in their life where, oh, architecture, I could be an architect. And so <laughs> I like going back to that, that point in people's lives uh, and, and sharing that with the community. So if you could sort of take yourself back to where you discovered architecture, what inspired you to proceed and become an architect and share the journey from that point to where you are today. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. I can do that. Um, yeah, thanks again for having me. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, um, probably, probably not unlike, uh, a lot of architects, I kind of started not really, I, I started my degree in architecture, not really knowing what all that entailed. Um, and I think it really came from my, my childhood. Uh, I was, I was always a tinkerer and, uh, loved building things and the idea of, of building things and problem solving, um, was always something that I was doing as a, as a kid, we had, um, kind of woods in, in the back of, uh, back of my best friend's house. And yeah. we did, you know, built trebuchets and uh, forts and all kinds of stuff. And like, that's really where I think like a lot of my, uh, interest in, again, like building things and problem solving came from. And so I, I, th I think rather than just like me deciding that I, I wanted to be an architect, I think it was more just like, okay, this is what I like to do. Um, what's a career path that would be most similar to that. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so I, I kind of went down the, the architecture road again, not really knowing what, uh, that all meant. And, uh, yeah, I kind of learned along the way and found that, found that I was, I was really passionate, not just about, um, architecture and building things, but, um, how uh, technology and emerging technologies could apply to and improve, uh, the built environment. So when, when, um, when in your life between the trebuchets in the woods <laughs> and, and, and the, and the technology, when, when did the idea, the concept of architects and architecture, do you remember that, that point? Do you, do you remember yeah. where, you know, that passion for building things in the woods and, and growing and maturing around yeah. putting th things together when that sort of formulated itself into, Oh, I could do this as a career. Yeah, I, I think I think that was probably in high school, um, where I took I took a I took a CAD class, and uh, we were working with um, Inventor and um, some other modeling programs. And uh, I, again, I, I I kind of really enjoyed like um, putting things putting things together and designing things in in um, this software. And I think really that's when I realized that you know I, I think architecture is a is a great path for me. So it was in, it was in high school when I kind of, um, decided that, uh, again, it was kind of focused on like, I, I was really interested in, at, at that time, you know, 3d modeling was, was really new, um, uh, within, you know, within architecture and within, um, uh, CAD. Uh, so that, that's something that I was, I was, uh, I, I, I learned quite a bit about and really excelled in and, and decided, you know what, I think this could be something that, um, I could spend my career doing, <laughs> I guess. So yeah, I would say this in high school. Yeah. And so, so, uh, where did you go to college? Uh, so I attended the university of Nebraska, the college of architecture, um, there. Um, and I would say, again, I started my degree, not really knowing what all, uh, architecture entailed, like what, what yeah. it meant to actually be an architect. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I think the, a lot of us have, We've gone, experienced that sort of, oh, I want to be an architect. Yeah. And then you get to that first year architecture studio and you're like, wow. <laughs> okay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It was totally different than, and especially, I mean, I mean, all, all, all architecture programs differ, I'm sure quite a bit, but, yeah. um, in the college of architecture at UNL, you really start with, um, more design centric and design focused, uh, exercises. So it was a lot less about, um, you know, actual buildings and more about, uh, uh, design in general and composition and, and things like that. And so that really took me by surprise yeah. initially. Um, I was like, what did I get myself into? But, um, 
really, I, I saw that, I mean, my, my education kind of laid a, a groundwork for not only like learning how to, uh, um, design and, uh, and compose, uh, compose things, but, uh, really, the, really instilled in me the, the ability of uh, critical thinking, which I think is a lot of what, um, a more general skill set that, that architects, um, walk out of school with, at least a lot of architects walk out of school with the ability to critically think about problems and solve them. So, and, yeah. And then when you, when you graduated from Nebraska, did, where did you go? Where did you do? You're still in Nebraska now. So, so, uh, yeah. did you, yeah. did you start, did you go right into an architecture firm and what did you do after school? Yeah, I actually, I actually started interning at, uh, BBH architecture, um, about my third year of school. Um, it's an architecture firm that's right across the street from the, the university actually. And that was, um, that, that's actually where I was at, uh, for, for eight years after graduation. Um, and I, I think it, it was, it was interesting cause I mean, when you're, I was in, I was in school and, uh, at that, at that point I was actually working during school as well. So I was interning the entire time. And so that like the, the balancing between academics and the professional environment, um, while there's a lot of similarities, it was so incredibly different in, in so many ways. Um, I was working on more practical problems uh, at work, uh, you know, in the, in the professional realm, and then also going over to academia and working on more conceptual um, problems. And there was a there was a large difference between the two. But I really like my in my third year of school. Um, again, that's when I kind of got that internship at BVH uh, Architecture. But I also started um, really diving into um, uh, visual scripting and grasshopper, uh, and really found my interest in that. And I think that's really where, like my, I found like what I'm passionate about within architecture, which is, you know, applying uh, emerging technologies to, uh, practice and the, and the built environment. And so, um, that's really where my passion started to build for, uh, for, for that, I think is in my third year of school. Cause I could see how, how, powerful some of these some of these tools were and how they could apply both to practical solutions um in practice you know in my internship um and also um solving um complex more academic solutions um in in school so yeah was was bvh already sort of tech savvy were they sort of on the cutting edge to begin with or or was it an internal discovery that oh there's pretty cool technology out there i want to go out and find it and and learn about it and then bring it back to the firm. I, I think it was a, it was a little bit of both. I think BVH has always been, um, uh, on the, on the cutting edge of like what was, what, what, what was being used in practice. I think, um, visual scripting and, and like grasshopper and computational tools like that, um, weren't something that they were, that, that they were using at all. Um, but they were, they were just diving into Revit and other, um, uh, BIM tools like that uh, at that time. But I think as I started to, yeah, learn about more of, more of these tools in, in academic academia, um, I found again, practical ways to incorporate that into our practice, which, which led BVH to realize, I think some of the, some of the impact of that. And I think one of the biggest, uh, I guess, examples of that was the, the market arena. We, we were working on that, um, project currently at BVH. And one of the problems they had was they had this, um, drum, which is like the, 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 the top of the, the arena essentially was this kind of doubly curved surface that went around the entire building. And that was kind of defined by several ellipses. So, um, we were, we were working in partnership with another firm and, um, throughout the design process that, 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 that drum changed shape about 80 plus times, I would say. And so, um, they realized quickly that going through these iterations and rebuilding all this stuff every single time was a giant waste of time. Cause it would take somebody, you know, eight plus hours to remodel this. And they were, they were going through iteration after iteration to find the most efficient. So you're just doing that built. straight raw in, in Revit, just building they, it. They scratch? were, yeah. They, they, yeah, they were. Yep. So, so I, I came in and, and said, you know what, we could, we could apply, we could kind of build a definition for this in uh, grasshopper that, 
you know, allowed us to adjust a lot of these parameters, uh, like the size of the panel and, you know, the what height is, of what the is grasshopper, and, what does grasshopper do? What's, what's visual scripting and grasshopper do for, for cause I don't know. Sure. And what, I'm sure there are a lot of people listening and saying, well, I don't know what that is. I hear about it a lot, but I don't know what it, what it is and what it does. Yeah. So, um, grasshopper is a visual scripting language and what visual scripting is, is it's, it's exactly what it sounds. Basically you're, you're programming, um, visually through connecting nodes. So, um, the best way I could describe it, uh, would be to, to say that, um, you're essentially connecting different functions. Like for example, um, then different routines, like create a circle now extrude that circle. Um, now rotate that circle or, you know, that cylinder now road, you know, uh, now move that cylinder now array that cylinder. So you're connecting all these routines to mm -hmm. create, uh, um, a dynamic, um, solution. So when you change parameters on the front end, like maybe the size of the circle, all of those routines, um, through those linked. nodes change. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we, we built, we were able to build, um, a, a, a script that allowed us to adjust the panel size, the, um, the truss um, spacing, all of these different parameters within this drum and spit out the final construction document ready geometry um, in under two minutes. So we're able to go through 80 plus iterations of this uh, and be able to generate those in, in, in very little amount of time and explore different uh, options rather than having to build those all manually. So I think like, in practice, I found a lot of really practical examples for how we could apply those merging technologies to practice. Um, and it wasn't just about, you know, pretty, pretty shapes or, you know, flowing surfaces or anything else like that. But it was about, um, again, finding, finding efficiencies in the process. Uh, and also, and also, um, kind of justifying our design decisions to, uh, the owner. So, um, I think, I think BVH realized pretty quickly that, that there was a lot of power in, um, that that skill set and that um technology yeah you end up with better architecture and you have a better business because you're doing things a lot much faster and so yes. you know you're not wasting fee on building revit models that would take what would you say days to build a model that sort of gets you to one iteration without without grasshopper and it takes minutes with grasshopper so, so in our case it was um it, it took about a, a day and a half to actually uh, build out the, um, the panels, the, uh, trusses, the, um, walls, uh, the windows, all, all of those pieces of that drum. So it was about a day and a half cut down to, um, about two minutes. Now, obviously there's more time spent up front in, in right. building that kind of framework, but, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it definitely, um, saved us in the long run for sure. Right. And so, so that's just one example of, taking an emerging technology and applying it to what you're doing in practice and, and how yeah. it affects the company. So when you sort of discovered that and you found your passion there that look at, you know, I really mm -hmm. like doing this. Um, did they embrace you or, and say, Hey, you should keep doing this. Uh, or did you sort of go to them? Because I like, because I, you know, as we talk about this, I'm sure there are people who are listening and saying, I'm just like Zach. I love that stuff. Mm -hmm. I want to do that stuff. But you know, my firm, isn't interested in that or how do I approach my firm to, to, you know, explain what I know and how, what I know can affect the company? Yeah. Great, great question. Um, it, it wasn't a clean process yeah. for sure. I mean, I, I think it was really, um, I, first of all, I would say that BBH was very open to, uh, um, these ideas and these, uh, these new technologies. Um, they've much more open than, than probably others others would have been at that point. Um, but at the same time, it, it, it was, it took, it took a process for, you know, firm leadership and even the rest of the firm to understand that, you know, these aren't, these weren't just tools that we were, you know, fiddling around with that were just wasting time, but tools that could actually, so it really came through actually proving out the use case for these. And for us, it was about, um, one efficiency, but, uh, two, our, our clients, especially, you know, at least in the Midwest, and I'm sure everyone has a degree of this, um, with the clients that they work with, our clients are really pragmatic. So there's very little, there was very little room for, um, design decisions, uh, that weren't justified, you know, mm -hmm. to, to, to spend money. Um, 
you know, budgets, budgets are closely watched. And like, like I said, our clients are pragmatic. So they want to know that their money is, is being spent on design decisions that are actually giving them a better building in the end. And so I think what we, we, we realized over, you know, the course of, of, uh, five or six years, um, slowly is that not only could this like, um, a way that we could start to justify some of our design decisions um, by proving out that no, this you know this overhang or this shape uh, um, is is necessary because um, of of these reasons. You know whether it was performative, whether it was um, analyzing the quality of the views outward or um, the amount of daylight that was getting, and those types of things, we were able to justify those um, design decisions versus just you know telling them, well, it's it's my gut reaction. Um, I think that's really where, like, I mean, my my interest has has lied, um, not only in practice but in school. Uh, I kind of found that as my as my niche um, for uh, for for focusing on that. I, my my thesis was on data driven architecture, and it was really focused on the idea of of uh, building a framework that that um, based on information from the building's users and the building's context, it would um, adapt. Uh, to those environments. So, you know, the architect can kind of design this framework and then the form is actually left up to being generated uh, uh, by um, the framework that we've um, built based on information it got from its environment. So anyway, I think that's, I think that was where um, a lot of, a lot of my interest started to build is, is how we could justify our design decisions and build better buildings um, for our clients. Yeah. So when you when you when you when you and the firm came together, and yeah. and you recognized that there was there were opportunities here, um, mm-hmm. did were did you move to a position eventually that sort of where you sort of led this mission, um, or were you just a you know a practicing architect that was interested in that, and you were the guy they, to go to when they needed that kind of stuff? Did it become like yeah, a I- specific position? So I would say most of my career was was the latter. So I, it w- I was just a practicing architect that was working on projects, and um, there were several within our office that uh, would, you know, you know, come out come to me if they had an issue that they thought would be a good solution for this. But um, otherwise, it was just me basically identifying opportunities and. Uh, building, you know, building routines and, and, and scripts to actually solve them, um, as an architect, I think like we, we actually started down the road of, um, I actually, they did create a, a position for me to really focus on that. Um, and then basically that led immediately into a layer, which, um, obviously I'm, I'm, that's, that's what I'm doing right now is, is running that kind of startup. So, um, we never really got the chance to kind of solidify that um, as a position within our firm, I think BVH saw that as a, a, a valuable skill set. But um, I think one of the biggest like challenges with with uh, um, anyone in kind of that computation and generative design um, realm, you know, with, with those skill sets, um, struggles with is uh, the idea that like people, you, you can. It's really general, so it's a general set of tools. So you it sounds like you can do everything, which right. is sometimes more difficult, um, to convey to people to have identify, have them help you identify opportunities to use it. Uh, so I think that was one of the biggest challenges that we had, but I think we had finally kind of solidified what that position might look like. And, um, I stepped into that role and then we immediately kind of started down the, the road of uh, layer. So, so how, did, how, um, how did layer, well, actually, before we get into how was layer born, um, sure. explain what layer is first so everybody can understand what it is and how it works. And then we'll go back to how it, how it grew out of this position. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a flexible digital collaboration platform. Its goal is really to organize and manage building data and, uh, help adapt to your workflows and improve your communications. So the, the entire goal of, of layer is really to be one home for your building's information, your build, your project's information. Um, so it, it does that by um, by uh, connecting tasks, messaging, files, and field data 
to your actual building elements. So like, for example, um, it's rather than working through email chains or, um, uh, you know, file servers and things like that, you're storing all of this information uh, relative to your building. So for example, room 1200 might have um, 15 photos attached to it. It might have several conversations attached to it. It might have that need completed. Um, uh, the, you know, uh, a certain door or a certain piece of mechanical equipment might have the same information attached to it. So it's really just a way to reorganize uh, communication um, and collaboration in a way that fit our workflows as architects, you know, working in the actual space um, versus versus in email, separate, separate uh, means like email chains, file servers, things like that. Right. So you're, so you're taking, you're taking all those back and forth emails, you're taking maybe all the information that, uh, that would all possibly be in Slack, you know, because Slack might be the replacement yep. for email. Uh, it takes all yep. of the text messages that may be going back and forth. It takes the photographs, uh, and it takes all of the, the BIM information from a BIM file. All of that is brought into one place that can be easily accessed and then linked back to a specific project in a specific building. Uh, yep. even, even to the specific rooms and specific materials within those rooms, right? Exactly. Yes, that's, that's correct. Yep. Yeah. And that's really the, the goal is to, the goal for us is, I mean, as an architect, I was, I was living it for a long time, just the, uh, just the, the problem of paperwork and, um, uh, email chains and all of that. I mean, the, our goal really is to, to minimize the amount of effort that people are spending on that stuff so they can maximize the amount of effort that they're spending on the fun stuff like design. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that's really our goal, uh, is to be kind of one home, uh, for all of that information, um, so that you can stop searching and sifting and filtering and, uh, get back to designing. So would layer replace all of that stuff that I talked about? Is it, so you ultimately in the perfect world, it's layer, and Revit or whatever BIM software you're using. It's just those two things together and that's all you need to sort of manage a project. Yeah, I think we, I think we see it as that. I think like, um, uh, the, the, a replacement for, um, email or replacement for, uh, file servers for, you know, FTP servers, yeah. um, uh, for all of, all of that, those types of collaboration tools that are kind of segmented out, right. um, and not really connected. Uh, our goal is to kind of put all of that into one space. So yeah, we, we kind of see that as a replacement for all of that. Obviously you're not going to get rid of email completely. Yeah. Um, Although that would be nice in the way that you're working. <laughs> it, it would be nice someday uh, for maybe. sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's, that's our goal anyway. Yeah. And it's, it's very impressive, which is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on because I want other people to cool. go look at it. Um, because yeah. it, it's when you showed it to me on, and if anybody wants to see the demo, um, it should still be in the community. If you go to, to the Entree Architect community, our private Facebook group, if you're not a member, you can go to entrearchitect.com slash group and get in there. You have to be an architect, though. Um, that video should still be in there. So if you search for uh, Zach Soflin or Layer uh, or AIA Conference, you probably would be able to find that video and, and watch that demo. Uh, we might be able yeah. to even link to it uh, on the show notes. Uh, so you can so you can uh, take a look at it, but you'd still have to be a member to get into the video to to see it. But very very impressive, you know. When you first talked to me about it, and Jessica, uh, who's on your team, talked to me about what you do and and how you do it. It's hard to sort of understand it at first, and yeah. so when you see it actually happen, and you realize that you know uh, a conversation about uh, the color of a flooring material in a specific room in a specific building can be found within seconds. Um, mm -hmm. and that could happen over and over and over and over again all day long, uh, for months while you're developing this project. I, it's amazing how much time that would solve, you know, save, uh, and how much money that would save and how much more money the firm would make by, you know, uh, <laughs> saving all that time. So it's, it's really yeah. impressive and it's very intuitive as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's well done. Awesome. All right. Cool. Good to hear. We will be right back to our conversation after this quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect, Gusto, RCAT, and FreshBooks. 
If you own a business or know someone who does, you probably know that us small firm business owners, we wear a lot of hats. And some of those hats are totally great, but some, like filing taxes and running payroll, not so great. That's where Gusto comes in. Gusto makes payroll, taxes, and HR actually easy for small businesses. Fast, simple payroll processing benefits and simple management tools all in one place. Gusto automatically pays and files your federal, state, and local taxes so you don't have to worry about it. Plus, they make it easy to add on health benefits and even 401ks for your team. Those old school clunky payroll providers just weren't built for the way modern small businesses work. But Gusto is. So let Gusto wear one of your many hats. You have better things to do. Listeners to the Entree Architect podcast get three months free when they run their first payroll. Try a demo and see for yourself at entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That's entrearchitect.com slash G-U-S-T-O. It's what every professional in architecture dreads. Editing down a manufacturer's specifications. Did that just make your skin crawl? Did that just make the hair on the back of your neck stand up? You're staring down a 54-page specification and you just need one product. Just one product and all of its attributes. That's all you need. There is a better way. And it's not throwing the entire specification into the project documents. That's a waste of time. That's a waste of money. It's RCAT.com's Spec Wizard. Spec Wizard is a unique tool that allows you to specify a product in minutes, not hours, by turning a specification into a simple to use website. Just select the products and options you want to specify and generate a three part CSI specification in multiple formats. And best of all, it's free. And it requires no registration. You don't even need to send them your email address. It's all free, just like everything at RCAT. So go to entrearchitect.com slash RCAT, entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T, and try the better way of specifying products. RCAT's Spec Wizard. Do you remember when you started your small firm? It was no small feat. It took lots of late nights, early mornings, and maybe even the occasional all-nighter. Bottom line, you've been busy, insanely busy, ever since. So why not make things a little bit easier? Well, our friends at FreshBooks have the solution. FreshBooks invoicing and accounting software is designed specifically for small business owners. It's simple, intuitive, and it keeps you way more organized than the dusty shoebox filled with crumpled receipts. Create and send professional-looking invoices in 30 seconds and then get them paid two times faster with automated online payments. File expenses even quicker and keep them perfectly organized for tax time. And the best part? FreshBooks grows alongside your business, so you'll always have the tools that you need when you need them without ever having to learn the ins and outs of accounting. Join the 24 million people who've used FreshBooks. Try it for free for 30 days. That's free for 30 days. No catch, no credit card. Free. 30 days. Visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section to get started. Gusto, RCAT, and FreshBooks. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So we sort of understand what layer is now. Um, so let's go back to BVH and this position you had and emerging technology and your passion in that. Um, and they sort of built this, this new position. You took that new position, started that idea of this is my new job. <laughs> I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna sort of help the firm, you know, stay on the cutting edge and apply technology to their firms. And I also just want to mention real quick as an aside, it takes a firm a lot of courage to make those shifts, to make that change. But you said it wasn't easy. It was a little dirty to sort of make that transition, yeah. a little messy to make that, that transition. I think every firm goes through that. I was in a firm, you know, I bring ideas as a young architect and they're like, yeah, we've been doing it for a long time. Go back to your drafting board, you know? And so it takes a firm, um, a lot of courage to, um, to, first of all, you said to be open to it. If you're not open to it, yeah. none of this is going to work. And so to be open mm -hmm. to it. And then, 
you know, give a little bit of flexibility and a little freedom to the people who are coming to you with these ideas, at least to show you the idea and then be open enough mm -hmm. to, you know, allow it to maybe blossom. It may be a terrible idea. It may waste a lot of time. You may be doing it a much better way, but you wouldn't know unless you, you gave them the opportunity. So I just wanted to say that. Um, no, very good. Yeah. So, so how did this new position sort of blossom into layer? Cause everything you talked up, uh, talked to us about you know, with grasshopper and the visual, um, um, Scripting. Scripting. Yeah. I noted it, but my handwriting was not. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> um, my secrets are revealed. Um, <laughs> and so so how did how did that position sort of lead itself into layer? Did you just sort of start? How did it blossom? I mean, where did it come yeah. from? Where did the seed of that idea come from? Good, good question. It actually, um, sorry for the messy timeline, but it actually began even before that position Okay. Uh, was created. It was it was a similar circumstance to the arena um, where I was just on the project and um, saw that that there was a potentially a better way to do something. Um, this actually started on the Nebraska State Capitol. Uh, we we were awarded the uh, project for um, the Nebraska State Capitol HVAC replacement. And what that entailed was essentially going into the entire building and ripping out the old, much larger HVAC equipment and replacing it with new, smaller equipment. It's a it's a 10 year project. Um, I think there's like eight phases um, of the project. And so it was a really big undertaking um, for us. And again, like we were working with mechanical and electrical and, and plumbing consultants, um, you know, engineers. But uh, on the architectural side, we had to be, we were concerned with, uh, one, like you, we needed to patch, um, repair, replace all of those types of things. And not only just in any building, but in a, in a historic monument. Uh, um, and so, uh, the, the care that went into kind of preparing those solutions was, was really important. Uh, so as, as part of this project, we had to go through, um, the entire building and do a detailed conditions assessment. Um, of the, of the entire building. Um, and what that, what that typically would look like for us, uh, the way we've done these condition assessments before was, you know, we'd, we'd take a, a uh, we'd have a paper form, uh, for the information that we wanted to gather. Uh, we would walk into each room, uh, we would jot down the answers, um, to those questions. And then we'd have our digital camera along and we'd snap photos of that room. And then we'd move on to the next room. Um, the, the problem here was that on the, on the Capitol, there's about 1300 rooms and we were collecting about 57 data points per room. So things like what's the wall material, what's the condition of the wall material, is it preservation worthy or not? All of these different factors that we needed to collect for each individual room ended up being about a hundred thousand different data points that we needed to collect. Uh, Separately, I mean, with the images, uh, we, uh, like I said, typically we just have a digital camera with a giant pile of photos at the end of the day, and we'd go back to our computer, we'd put them onto our server, and hopefully we would be able to find, you know, the photos of that, of a specific room that we were looking for as we were designing the solution for that room, you know, months or even potentially years after the fact. Um, and we knew like upfront that that wasn't going to work. Um, I think after this survey, we ended up with about 40,000 photographs of the building. And so you can imagine like I mean, finding what you're looking for within that stack of photos is next to impossible. Yeah. So we knew that like the, go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's the way that it's been done for, yes. for decades. <laughs> I did that work for yes. New York city schools and that's exactly oh. how it was done. And it was before we had the technology to do anything else. That's just the way it was done. Yeah, ex exactly. And we, we knew like, I, I was I was on that project. I was looking at this, and I was like, "We've we've got to find a better way to do this." Because what we did have was um, we had a, an architect that was working for us. I spent about eight hundred hours building a really detailed um, Revit model of the entire building. So he was in every crack and crevice of that building, measuring and and um, building a three D model of it. Uh, so we had this really like detailed uh, geometry. Um, in Revit, but what we were lacking is the connection to that real world information that we actually needed to design. So the way that we kind of state this problem that we ran into was the information that we needed to design wasn't connected to the tool that was to actually produce. 
Um, and that's really where um, we realized that we need to come up with a different solution. Can you, um, can you just say uh, that one more problem. time? Because uh, sure. Skype just blipped on us. And as you said that very oh, important sorry. statement, uh, <laughs> it, it sort of crackled and we missed it. So if you could just, just no explain that again. Sure. So um, the way that we kind of state the problem uh, was that the information that we needed to design wasn't connected to the tool that we used to actually produce the design. Got it. Okay. Uh, so that real world information that we were collecting in the field wasn't connected to this uh, really detailed Revit model um, that we had. And so we looked for a solution out there. We couldn't find one. And so we decided to build one. And so that's where really where I just started digging in on nights and weekends into kind of mocking up a prototype of, of what this could look like. Um, and so this is uh, just you taking initiative and saying, I have an idea. Let's see if I can build something that'll work. Yes. So yeah, you, exactly. So you, you didn't necessarily ask for permission. You just took permission and decided, okay, I'm going to build this on my own and then, you know, we'll see if it works. And if it works, then I can go back to the firm and show them what I've done. Yeah, in, in, in a sense. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a very short window where I, I kind of spent a week kind of prototyping what I was thinking and um, presented it to the team. Um, and they were all on board. They, they loved the idea. So uh, we kind of we, we spent the so this was all before we even started the conditions assessment at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I, I kind of got the go ahead from our team and from our firm uh, leadership. And so I started um, really digging in and building this thing. Um, as we were ramping up to start this uh, survey process. So where, where did you learn how to do that? You're trained as an architect. So <laughs> nowhere in the architectural education is coding. And no. so, so, so how, did, how did you start taking this idea that you have and start building it into something that could be used? Um, I, I would say it, it so I, I, I am not, I'm not formally educated on, in computer science or anything else like that. Like you said, I'm educated as an architect. Um, I think my thesis really led me to dive deep into uh, programming and uh, um, development and dive past even visual scripting and just really focus on actual um, programming and, and, and coding uh, for that matter. So um, I really started in my sixth year of, of school focusing on developing those skills. And really, those skills were just learned literally via the Internet. Yeah, um, just self-educated. You were yeah, passionate I, about it. You wanted to learn it. And so you went out and you found the information to teach it to yourself. Exactly. And I think that, yep. that, that passion is really what like drives a lot of like, I mean, if you're passionate about something, it's really easy to just immerse yourself into something and, and, and learn as much as you can about it. Um, the so information is all there. It's all out there exactly. on the internet and most of it's free. Exactly. And so yes, there's, exactly. there's no, no reason why, you know, at this point we have no excuse that if, it, yep, if you exactly. are passionate about something and you and you don't know how to do something, go. <laughs> there's a thing called exactly. Google <laughs> and YouTube and type it in there and see what pops up. Exactly. Yes. And that's exactly what what I did. And, and I don't know that I knew what, you know, when I started kind of with the prototype stuff, I, I don't know that I knew where it was going to end. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, or even how I would do it. But I knew that. I, I relied enough on the fact that I could find the answers um, that we, we, we decided to go down that road. So, I mean, honestly, from a, from a firm leadership perspective, uh, it took a lot of bravery on their part yes. to kind of entrust that process because this is, this was a, a big chunk of our fee that we were investing in um, not, not only just building the software, cause that wasn't the large part of it. The large part was trusting yeah. that the thousands of hours we spent surveying it, would be safe. That information would be safe stored in um, this program that some architect was building. That so a, um, that took a lot of bravery on their very, part. very important point because they <laughs> could they could have very easily said, "We're not going to risk this huge, very important project to this yeah. technology that this architect designed and says it's going to work." Because <laughs> you won't know it's going to work until you do it. So you have to spend exactly. a bunch of hours using the software, and if when it doesn't work, you have to scrap it and start over again. And, exactly. and either go back to your client and say, oh, we messed up. We're way behind schedule and now we have no fee. Or you don't tell the client and you just go back yeah. and you scramble and try <laughs> to get back to where you, exactly. where you should be. So, uh, exactly. yeah, bravery is an understatement. <laughs> exactly. No. And that's, again, that's really a testament to them yeah. and our firm leadership in doing that. But, um, so yeah, we started, we started building it and, uh, 
started as uh, a working prototype and the uh, team started using it. We had up to four or five people out in the field um, at any given time. And really the benefit was, again, they were as they were collecting information, like taking photos and collecting the field data, all of that um, was synchronized in real time between the entire team. So you knew exactly who was where, um, what they, uh, what room they were working on, what rooms were done. Um, and the team back in the office could immediately see all of that information coming through as well. So, um, it, it wasn't always like a, uh, a clean process. I mean, yeah. it, it's, it's never, uh, it's never a great idea to be developing something and be using it, you know, concurrently, <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, again, that was, that was a testament to the team and their patience with us. I think there were several times we, uh, were set up on the outside of the Capitol, uh, on the back of my, on the, on the trunk of my car with a laptop and a couple iPads kind of debugging different problems and <laughs> whatever else. But ultimately at the end of the day, um, the, the project manager still to this day, I mean, says, uh, it was an absolute huge time saver and we're still benefiting from that resource because now, um, as we're continuing to design, we're in about the, the third year of this project. Um, we still have all of that information at our fingertips. So when someone's in, in the model, um, clicking, clicking in rooms or windows, they immediately see all of the information related to that room or that window. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an interesting process. Uh, it's definitely a testament to, to the patience of our project manager <laughs> and, uh, team for sure. Um, yeah. Gave us great feedback. So, when was the transition from you know tool that you're going to use in the firm as an architect to, uh, and so you made and you became you you took this new position, this tech position. Yeah. When did it become okay? We need to actually turn this into a separate product and spin this off into a separate company. Yeah, I'd say um, we we kind of wrapped up the survey um, for the Nebraska State Capitol um, and realized after that that I, I think actually what happened was we we presented at a few conferences as well we kind of presented that process at a few conferences and got overwhelming feedback of people coming to us and saying i would love to use this for x or yeah. y you know versus just a conditions assessment i mean even just a workflow tool to be able to manage project tasks or a communication tool to be able to have conversations um, within the context of our building, we, we had people kind of coming up to us asking, um, you know, if this was a product and at that point we were like, I, I mean, we did not build it, you know, we hadn't planned on that at all. Right. Um, and so I'd say after about a year and a half of the, after we kind of began on the Capitol, we decided, you know what, this is a tool that I think could benefit, um, the industry, uh, as a whole and let's, let's give this a shot. So we, uh, we kind of rebuilt it from the ground up at that point and, um, spent about, uh, the next year and a half, um, uh, building it. We launched, um, April 2nd of this year, um, publicly we had, uh, we had been beta testing with a few firms around the country, um, prior to that for about six or seven months, um, prior to that. Uh, and yeah, we, we just, uh, finally launched the, the final tool. So it's been a, it's been a cool journey, but yeah, yeah. exciting and very, very early in the, in the process. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's exciting to uh, to hear your story and to um, and to follow the passion that led to it, because it, yeah. I mean it, the seed was your passion, the development of your was your passion. It was it was you know your passion is what got you to where you are now, with the encouragement and and um, uh, courage of the firm yeah. to allow you mm -hmm. to follow that passion. Uh, they took a lot of uh, faith in you and they had mm -hmm. a lot of trust that you would, uh, you know, you develop something that was worthy of using. And then, you know, the, again, the courage to spin it off and, <laughs> and to let you go and, and explore the possibility of turning it into a product uh, yeah. took a lot of courage as well. Did, did anyone fill your position in the firm? Is there somebody else there now sort of uh, looking at technologies and where they could take the firm? I, I wouldn't say, uh, no, the, the, the position hasn't necessarily been, uh, filled. We do have, we do have some, uh, younger architects who are definitely taking an interest in, um, um, computation and parametric design, um, and, uh, implementing that on projects. So it's kind of been cool to see that grow. Yeah. I kind of still, I, I'm not, I'm not doing much in our, like I said, I'm focused almost purely on layer at this point, but, um, uh, at, at this point, I, I don't know what the plans are, uh, for that, 
for the, that uh, position, I guess. Um, or what? But we have, we do have some we do have some groups that are uh, interested in, in um, using this in practice. You know, much like I was, just as an architect who yeah. um, were were interested in it. But yeah. yeah, I have I have one more question before we wrap wrap things up. Um, before I ask my final question, but I have, I have one more question about sure. our conversation. Um, and this is mm-hmm. something that I really I'm very interested in. I I always ask uh, when I talk to people like you who've moved from full-time architect to doing something different uh, and applying yeah. your skills and your strengths as an architect into uh, you know some other career or some other and it's usually related uh, but it's no longer mm-hmm. a practicing architect you're no longer designing buildings um, yeah was that transition difficult uh, to make that decision to allow the thing that you worked for uh, mm-hmm. you became a licensed architect not easy to do um, yeah. you've made a conscious decision to not do that and to to embrace this entrepreneur startup, you know, this tech startup, uh, mm-hmm. was that decision difficult? Uh, yes, I would say yes. In short, in short, it was yeah, it was really difficult. It was something that I, even before Layer, just uh, battled back and forth whether or not I wanted to go down that road of just focusing purely on emerging technologies and how they apply to design versus just doing that on the side as I design projects. Um, that was a really hard decision for me, but I, I realized that, that my passion, um, uh, for those emerging, you know, emerging technology and how they applied to design my passion for that, um, really outweighed, um, my, uh, you know, my, my, my fears or, um, my, my worrying about, you know, actually stepping out of practice. And I think, I think like, I, I even even when I went into layer, I had a I had a friend, a good friend of mine, uh, who's also an architect, kind of ask me. He's like, I'd be interested to hear uh, what what do you like about what you're doing now versus yeah. versus architecture. And I I had to think about it a little bit, and I I finally realized that you know I think I think why I why I'm really enjoying what I do now is because I can I can kind of build without compromise, um, which which for, for me was, you know, I mean, as, as an architect, we are all familiar with the way that projects usually work. We usually have a big idea and that gets boiled down, um, throughout the entire process and, uh, you know, might end up, uh, a small remnant of what, yeah. um, it was before. Um, and that's kind of a, I guess, a cynical way to look at it. Um, and by no means do I like, do I think that I'm, I'm never going to miss practicing architecture. I'm, I'm, I'm obviously like, about six months into this of, of stepping out of architecture completely. I think I will miss architecture, but I think that's been really refreshing to me to, um, to be able to kind of build something without, without compromise, um, kind of build what, build what, um, to basically see your idea realized, um, uh, without having to compromise on any of its ideals. So you, but, can, you can take that idea and fully develop it the way it, it emerges in your own mind. Yeah, without exactly. somebody else saying oh, you can't do that or the budget's not there to do that or we don't have the time for that. Exactly. Yeah. And I think like my my architecture my my and this is where I see a, a ton of value in like uh, my my degree in architecture cuz like you know as I'm stepping out of this I've had people ask me like do you feel like it's a waste that you went to <laughs> architecture yeah, school? Yeah. Um and like I said I don't know that I'll always be outside of uh um architecture but um, I, I tell them emphatically, no, uh, I think, I think being educated as an architect is a lot more about just learning how to build buildings, but really, um, there's so many other embedded skill sets that, that are involved, um, in that process. I mean, mainly critical thinking and problem solving are huge skill sets for really any, any industry, um, and even composition, um, and the ability to design things are so much broader than just, you know, a building or, um, architecture. So, uh, I think architects are really well positioned, uh, to be, or are at least educated to be well, well positioned to be, to be flexible in their career paths, um, and where they can go. Um, so yeah, I, 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 uh, I, I definitely appreciate my, my education as an architect. And I don't think, I think it's been nothing but beneficial for me kind of in this new trajectory. Yeah. I, I, and that's exactly why I asked that question. Because I think that a lot of people get to the point where some people, not a lot of people, some people get sure. to the point where they have to make this decision. They have this great idea. 
they have this passion, but they just spent, you know, a decade of their life pursuing a, a career path, uh, have, have done all the work, have, have checked all the boxes, have passed all the tests, uh, have become a licensed architect. And now, you know, you need to make a decision. Am I going to pursue that original plan or am I going to take this other path um, yeah. and do something else and follow my passion? Uh, that's exactly. a really difficult decision to make. Um, and, and, uh, I appreciate your answer. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think, I think that's been really where, like, I mean, leaving that it's, it's a tough decision, like for anybody, because as an architect, you kind of have this prescribed career path. Like, yep. I mean, it's very, it's, it's usually fairly obvious whether it's a small or a large firm. I mean, you're, you know, working your way up to project architect, project manager, you know, when you want to be a principal one day, that type of stuff kind of have this kind of prescribed career path. And it was, it was difficult to make that decision. And I had to kind of get comfortable with the idea of not really knowing where the next, you know, year or uh, two years or three years or five years of my life is going to look like, (laughs) um, uh, rather than that kind of prescribed path. But, um, it's been quite the adventure. It's been fun. Yeah. I, I believe, and a lot of people disagree with me, but I believe that once you become an architect, you're always an architect. Whether yeah. you're designing buildings or not, you're an architect. You've earned that 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 title. You've earned sure. that position. You have that knowledge and the skills mm-hmm. to come with that. Um, and our job as architects is to solve problems. And those problems are not always buildings. And yeah, I think that exactly. when we as a profession embrace that idea, mm-hmm. we can solve the bigger problems of the world because we won't be yeah. afraid to 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 move away from buildings. Some of us are mm-hmm. great at buildings and we should stay there and continue to embrace that and take more responsibility and more control over the development of buildings, design and, mm-hmm. and construction of buildings. Um, but I think that there should also be architects taking their skills and their passions and their talents and apply those to other problems that we have in this world. Because I really yeah. believe that we could solve the world's problems if we come together as architects and use all our mind, our ma- mind power and our skills and our very unique abilities and apply yep. them to some of these big problems that we have, um, that other other people who are not trained and skilled and have natural talents that we have uh, mm-hmm. just can't just can't can't think the way we think, can't do the things that we do. Um, and so, uh, I encourage people to follow that passion and to fully embrace uh, the skills and the the strength that you have, and apply them to the things that can solve the world's problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I completely agree. So before we wrap up, um, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. So what's sure. one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I think, I think really improve, improve the way that, that, um, uh, improve your workflows, like the way that you're um, managing your projects and, uh, uh, project information. I think like, uh, there's, there's so much complexity, uh, within, within the built environment, within buildings. And so that really, that really uh, um, makes it difficult to make shifts in the way that we work, like, you know, for example, paperwork and, and things like that. But um, I think that uh, where firms can really realize efficiency and thereby, you know, see better, um, better business success is, is through improving those kind of, or at least revising the way that they're, they're working and those, those uh, they're processing paperwork or um, sending emails or anything else like that. I'd say that's, that's a, that's one way that people could really improve. Yeah, excellent. Um, on the web, it's layer.team. So if you want to check out Layer and and uh, all that it does, go to the website layer.team. Team, uh, go check it out. They're also all over social media at Layer App. So search Layer App and you'll find Zach and his team on social media everywhere. Uh, Zach, this has been super interesting, very, very inspiring. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing about your story and how you sort of came up through the profession and and how it led to t- to uh, to layer um, and how uh, and and that final question I love the the answer to that final question uh, so mm-hmm. uh, I'm looking forward to to watching layer and to watching you and and see where 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 it takes us all awesome yeah thank you I I should add to Mark um, we we talked a lot about about layer and how, how like it was working in relation to Revit and BIM, but this is a tool that, that works completely standalone as well. So we, we have clients who use it, um, who are working in CAD and even just people that are reviewing PDFs, drawings and things like that. So, um, sorry, one last aside there. 
Um, yeah, I wanted to mention that. That's important but, because a lot of yeah. this community are, are not using BIM. And yes, so, yes, uh, I just make yeah, it's that. for it's for everybody. And and like I said, it's impressive. You should go check it out just to see how it works. So uh, layer.team to go check out Layer. Uh, Zach, thank you. Thanks for sharing your knowledge here awesome. at Entree Architect Podcast. Awesome. Thank you, Mark. It was great to talk to you. So that was episode 280. The link to share is entrearchitect.com slash episode 280. You, my friends, are the Entree Architect Army. Go share that link right now, entrearchitect.com slash episode 280. And let's get this, this, this train rolling. Let's get the, the rest of the world of small firm architects to know what we're doing here at Entree Architect, because that's the only way this is happening. That's the only way we're, we're making a, a difference here um, is by you sharing this, this podcast with your friends. So go share it with every architect you know and share this link so you can, you can share Zach uh, Soflin's uh, story with Layer. I, I really am inspired by Zach. Um, and I think, I think a lot of you uh, are in that position too where you have this idea, this passion of some other idea that could, you can um, leverage your skills and your talents as an architect and you can go do something that's going to change the world. Maybe it's not being a traditional architect. Maybe it's something else. Um, don't be afraid. Follow that passion. Go see what you can do. If, if you can make the world a better place uh, with the skills that you have as an architect, go do that. Go do that. And go share this episode so other people can be inspired to do that as well. Yes, traditional architecture is strong and well and we need to to, to, um, to strengthen that as well. And the people who are passionate about that should be doing that. Uh, but there are people who are trained as architects who have other passions and they should not be afraid to go explore those ideas and use those, those skills that you have as an architect. And you will always be an architect, so don't worry about pursuing other things. I don't care what anybody says. Once you're an architect, you're always an architect. So go do it, go do it. This is entrearchitect.com slash episode 280. Go share that. And come join us. Come join us at Entree Architect Membership, where we have monthly training from experts. Experts come in every month and train on a specific topic of business or leadership or life, just making our, our profession better, right? It's training all the members to, to improve what they do as architects. Every month we have a live training. Then we have access to that archive. We have over 50 now of those trainings they're all in there for the membership. Then you have unlimited access to all our business resources, a free video library full of additional videos of conversations and, and, and trainings on uh, additional subjects, and a private member forum in Slack with hundreds of entrepreneur architects just like you. So come hang out with us. Come join us. Come learn what you need to do to build a better business. Go check it out right now. It's all there for you. Subscribe today at entrearchitect.com slash join. That's entrearchitect.com slash join. And if you are an entrepreneur architect who runs or owns your own small firm, then you are an Entree Architect. And I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Three rules. Love, learn, share. Follow those rules and you'll have a better life and the rest of the world to be a better world. Love, learn, share. Thank you for listening here today at the Entree Architect Podcast, and have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, 
sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.